I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue our chronological trip through the Gospels, today we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 1, all the way down to Mark chapter 8, verse 9. In these passages, we'll see the following in Jesus' ministry. He's still ministering in northern Israel and even into Syria, then around the Sea of Galilee. And these events take place in the last year of Jesus' ministry before his crucifixion. In our first section of uh, reading today, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, and Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. And the whole incident has to do with washing one's hands. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but with their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude, and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly, and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, these are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Now from Mark's perspective in Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, 
as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, touching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered. And many such like things do ye. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. Well, we see in this passage that the Pharisees, they washed their hands a lot. They acknowledge in this passage that the practice was the tradition of the elders. Literally, it was part of the oral tradition that had been passed down over the years. This oral tradition is the equivalent of our federal judges issuing opinions regarding applications of our United States Constitution. These oral traditions were finally written down in the 2nd century A.D. into what is called the Mishnah. It's a six-volume set of books. And by the 5th century, the oral addendum to the Mishnah had grown into a 63-volume set of books known as the Talmud. Try reading that through in a year. Well, this hand-washing ritual before meals, the violation of which disciples were being criticized here, it had no basis in the law of Moses. However, since it was one of those very sacred extra-scriptural observances of these pious Jewish leaders, they were very critical. It's not a question of hygiene, but moral purity as far as they were concerned. All of them were man-made laws. Mark goes into more detail than Matthew regarding the background and basis of this pharisaical practice of ritual washings that we see in verses 2-5 through five of Mark's account. So... How do you answer a stupid question? Now, I say stupid question because this hand-washing ritual had no basis in Mosaic law. It wasn't a sincere query by these Pharisees. 
It was just the Pharisees trying to find fault with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus then subsequently chooses another of the laws to show how they had blatantly been using their special supplement to the law of Moses for selfish gain. So here we go. On the one hand, they considered it their personal responsibility to care for their parents in their old age. As a matter of fact, Jesus mentions two laws regarding the treatment of parents, the fifth commandment found in Exodus 20 verse 12, and then secondly, the provision which forbids cursing one's parents, which is found in Exodus chapter 21 verse 17. But what if you're so selfish that you don't want to take care of your parents? Well, here's the loophole, and it's called Corban. Mark points that out. That's the Hebrew word for offering to God. It's used 82 times in the Old Testament in the context of sacrificial offerings or oblations brought to the tabernacle or to the temple. 78 of those times are found in Leviticus and Numbers. Mark uses the exact Hebrew word transliterated, as I mentioned, Corban, in his account. He wants to make certain that his readers understand exactly what loophole these hypocritical Pharisees are invoking on this occasion. However, they offered their possessions with a little bit of a twist. They would pledge their possessions to God, the temple, at their deaths with full rights to use their own wealth as long as they desired while they were living. However, as they practiced it, this pledge prevented them from giving away any of these possessions for any reason, including provisions for their parents in their old age. Or at least that's the way they said it worked. Well, sorry, Mom and Dad, can't help. Pledged all my possessions to God. Incidentally, what must your parents have done to you as a child to merit such treatment? What a loophole. Now, listen, do you think that kind of hypocrisy and legal acrobatics will go unnoticed by Jesus? Jesus immediately points out that Isaiah had prophesied this kind of conduct by a disobedient Jewish nation back in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Here's what he said there. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Jesus quotes Isaiah in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, when he says, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandment of men. Wow, that's exactly what they were doing. And I'm afraid that many religious people are still doing exactly that today, just as Isaiah said they would, just like the Pharisees did. So what happens when you mix tradition into your doctrine, giving it the same weight as Scripture itself? Well, there's your answer in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Hey, Jesus, uh, we think you insulted the Pharisees with this one. Well, that's what the disciples reported in Matthew chapter 15, verse 12. Matthew, as an apostle, would have been on the scene when this exchange took place. He recalls in his account the concern the disciples had with regard to how this conflict seemed to set with the hypocritical Jewish leaders. Does it appear that Jesus' disciples may have thought it better to compromise a little bit on this one? Well, obviously, they just didn't quite get it either. 
In other words, hygiene is good, but moral purity has nothing to do with ritually washing one's hands before eating or the sanitary conditions of substances taken into the body. Here's what defiles. I mean, you want to know what defiles? Here it is. That which proceeds from a man. And then Jesus offers a list of defiling conduct in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, and Mark chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. Now, Jesus uses heart, the Greek word cardia, in this context, the same way we use it in English today, figuratively, as the seat of emotions and as the seat of thought. No educated person in Jesus' day believed that thinking processes literally took place in the heart, nor do we when we use it in that context today. Therefore, when Jesus refers to a defiled heart, he's speaking of one who stands in rebellion against God. This defilement is a product of the Adamic nature of man. In other words, these Jewish leaders, about whom Jesus was speaking, did not have an authentic relationship with God. That's the core problem that Jesus is addressing right here in this passage. On an amusing side note, the word used for what builders call today the water closet is referred to as the drought in Matthew 5.17 and Mark 7.19. That's the way it's worded in the King James Version. The Greek word there is aphedron. It's a compound noun including the preposition for away from and the word for sitting. So the draught of the King James Version is a place where one sits away from everyone else. In our next section of scripture, we see a very persistent Gentile woman. In Matthew chapter 15 verses 21 through 28 and Mark chapter 7 verses 24 through 30. Matthew 15, 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Zidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now from Mark's vantage point in Mark chapter 7 verse 24. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. 
And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. At this point in time, Jesus is north of Israel, up near Tyre and Sidon, which is actually in Syria, and he's ministering there. This woman is a Canaanite. She's of Canaanite descent, according to Matthew. And Mark reports that she's a native of the Phoenician seaboard up in Syria. She's a Syrophoenician, probably Greek in religion and also in speech. She's quite perceptive when she cries out to Jesus, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Matthew saw the exact phrasing of this plea to be significant. It demonstrated that she knew who Jesus was and why he had come, his messianic mission. Jesus points out that his primary ministry is to present himself as Messiah to the Jews. And she's a Gentile, not a Jew. She's persistent, though, not really interested in those kinds of technicalities, Could it be that she also understood that the prophet Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would also be ministering to Gentiles? He did that in Isaiah chapter 54. She's a quick thinker too, very fluent with the perfect rebuttal. Here it is. The dogs eating crumbs rebuttal. As scavengers, dogs ate whatever wasn't consumed by the intended recipients. And so the result is Jesus heals her daughter. Did you ever notice that some folks just can't keep a secret? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 31, and Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37, and see that concept exactly. First, Matthew 15, 29. And Jesus departed from thence, and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee, and went up into a mountain, and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. Now in Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Zidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf, and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit, and he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more great deal they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Well, Jesus left Syria, and he's now ministering in Decapolis. That's southeast of the Sea of Galilee. This area was predominantly occupied by Greeks, where Matthew simply points out that uh, Jesus healed a multitude of people who were brought to him. Mark, on the other hand, recalls for us on the occasion the healing of one particular man. He was a deaf, dumb man. Mark gives a detailed account, including the Aramaic word ephatha, that Jesus uses when he commands that the man's ears be opened. The multitude is impressed and subsequently published these miracles, despite Jesus' plea that they do not do so. 
And then we find that uh, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 to 39, and Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, that Jesus feeds the multitude again. Matthew 15, verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. And his disciples say unto him, Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven, and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes, and gave thanks, and brake them, and gave to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat, and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And they that did eat were four thousand men beside women and children. And he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. Now Mark chapter 8 verse 1. In those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked, And break, and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about four thousand, and he sent them away. Well, this crowd had been with Jesus for three days, and they were hungry, all four thousand of them. Matthew points out that the four thousand was just an accounting of the men present. Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Hey! Didn't you guys learn anything back in Matthew chapter 14 when the 5,000 plus were fed? Another feed miracle takes place from only seven loaves of bread and a few small fishes when it is said in verse 39 that he came into the coast of Magdala. Magdala was a city on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.